Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. It's another record for Pep Guardiola's Manchester City as Saturday's 8-0 win over Watford was the club's biggest scoreline in the Premier League. Add to that the successful progression to the next round of the League Cup on Tuesday and we can surely say that it's crisis well and truly over. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast where we'll be analysing the last seven days at the Etihad looking at how City repeatedly stung the Hornets and the performances that saw them race into a five-goal lead inside 20 minutes. Also on today's show we'll be casting an eye towards the EDS and catching up with our expert Sean Blinkhorn and Rob Wilson is on a nostalgia trip with the latest in his series about the last decade at the club. We'll be previewing the coming matches against Everton and Dynamo Zagreb, and we'll be taking your questions later on in the show too, so let's get cracking. I'm your host David Mooney, I'm joined by the Daily Mail's Jack Gaunt. Hello, you alright? I'm not too bad, thanks. And City fan Howard Hawking. Hello. How's it going? It's going alright, thank you. Excellent. So it's another first for City. City are now the first team to have scored eight goals in a Premier League game and to concede eight goals in a Premier League game after that 8-1 loss at Middlesbrough all those years ago. If you want to hear more about that, that's uh, this week's Patreon bonus show. So uh, go and have a look for that, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Um, but for this one, it was this was the quickest five-goal lead in a Premier League game, Jack. Um, what is it about Watford that City just like? I don't know, it's strange, isn't it? They, they play it. There was a game against Watford a couple of years ago where Watford were great. And nearly got a result, I think, um, at Vicarage Road. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was that was in the Centurion season. Um, Not last year. Oh, was it, it was last, only was two. It's only two one. Was last, it last year? year? Yeah. And then since then, they scored about a hundred goals against them in two, three games. Well, I was looking at this because uh, Guardiola's side have played eight against Watford and scored thirty-five. <laughs> well, that was—I mean—that was a big one at the end of the first season, wasn't it? When they um, they smashed five past. Yeah, them. and they were they were really really good that day, and they obviously kind of. Struggled a little bit, um, so that was quite a good way to end that that season. I don't know what it is about them. It's kind of, it's or sometimes you just have these it's one of those things, of things over clubs, don't you? It's bizarre. Um, what, what I like about that last day of the season was the next season when City went there. I think the I think the club account or a, a big fan account tweeted something like. It can't possibly get worse, and then tweeted a screenshot of the five nil, <laughs> and City went and won six nil. Just, just it's just like it's one of those things. And then they've obviously put eight past him, they put six past him in the FA Cup final. There's just so many times where it just feels like it feels like Watford should be a tough game, mm. and then it just isn't. Saturday was kind of a mixture between City being absolutely breathtakingly brilliant and Watford completely capitulating after the first. I mean. Give a goal away within seconds, kind of game over at the Etihad, didn't it? And then they, they just just fell to pieces straight away, didn't they? Which you know, given that quite amusing that Kike Flores is supposed to be a <laughs> defensive <laughs> yeah. genius. Howard, I um I got a confession to make with this game uh, because I was a little bit late. 
I I missed the I missed the first three goals, and then I was in the sun on, on that side of the stand. Yeah. And at half time, I was just like, I've got to I've got to get out of the sun and go upstairs. Yeah. Went upstairs, thought I'll, I'll buy a drink, and I'm queuing up, and then they score again just after half time. Ah. So of the eight goals, I only saw four. Oh well. It's, um, four's enough, surely. Four's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good number. He's I'd have taken that yeah. in the past. Yeah. But, um, only four. Only, only four. four. Yeah. A lot, it says a lot about my mental state. Mm. Really, How it? spoiled yeah. we are, yeah. yeah. Um, just look at that, that cup final. There was like, Watford played well first half and then just seemed to defend on the halfway line. Just played into City's hands in that second half. And they just seemed to give up some, you know, when it's against them, they don't. They don't just all retreat into their area and make things hard. They do seem to play into City's hands sometimes. It's like, yeah, just what, as Jack said, there's some clubs that are, <laughs> I don't know, they don't want to, don't change the way. I mean, he changed the team a lot as well, Flores, I think, and it just got it completely wrong because they just couldn't, couldn't get hold of the ball. So I thought it was quite funny to see, well, not necessarily funny, but it's quite quite intriguing to see Ben Foster afterwards just go, yeah, it was. it's not It's not nice feeling that I mean normally players just they will not come out and do post-match stuff no he's quite he's, Foster's quite good for that He did. didn't he say that City are going to put 10 past someone a team at some point well, well I was going to say this are they going to will they do it I don't know it's kind of bit mentally dis- you kind of do bit disrespectful isn't well, it? <laughs> well well when when should they stop really yeah, how, do they how, want how to, many goals yeah. should you stop uh, I don't yeah I don't know you kind of it seems strange that you go, oh yeah, teams stop because they still scored eight. So, but I don't, I so, don't think teams stop. I think what they do is just you kind of slow down. You don't, you, you know, the game's won, so you don't play with the same intensity. So the chances are not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't think they will put ten past a team purely because of that. Because um, I, th- I honestly thought if they're going to do it, it would be Saturday. Yeah, if they went, if they went full throttle for ninety minutes, then. Then yeah, they might do, but they don't have to, do they? Obviously, huh. um, and they don't want to because of fits you pile up some and whatever else. The scary thing is, after five, he actually slowed down for about fifteen twenty minutes. So he could have done probably. Yeah, they uh, the first game after my birth was the ten one. So they've done it once in my lifetime. I'd like to, I'd like to actually remember this one though. So uh, you know, um, I was there. That's a. Sorry, sorry, Just sorry to about prove that. Prove how much older I am than you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> City did all of that without Sterling, Jack, and I, I would genuinely say that Sterling is the most important player in City's front three. More important than Aguero. I yeah, yeah. I think the movement that Sterling offers and the the. the just the the importance of him being in that front three at some point. I think I think take Aguero out, put Jesus in. I think you get the same sort of result. Mm. Where would you where would you prefer Sterling to play, right or left? My gut instinct says right, but I th- I think left now. Yeah, I think I left. still quite like him coming in from the right and mm. just having those tap ins at the back post. But he wants to play left, doesn't he? I think he's well, he actually something. in the future he wants to play through the middle. Oh, and has really I enjoyed see, playing I through the middle. Yeah, yeah. he's. See, I, I think he sees himself as a central striker going forward, which would be interesting to see how that kind of how that comes about. And he's done all he, he's done all right. He, yeah, um, Chelsea last year he played quite well, didn't he? For, yeah. I know they, they lost, but um, he looked he looked pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, okay, they did it without Sterling, but then look at the quality they've got elsewhere. I, I take Mahrez that point. has had a really good start to the season. Bernardo finally started his season on Saturday. Um, 
He's got quality everywhere, don't they? Well, let's let's talk about Bernardo Silva. First hat trick in his senior career, Howard. Uh, it's actually uh, his first brace since he's he only scored one brace uh, yeah. since January uh, 2017, and only the third time he scored more than once in a, in a game. And he just rocks up and, and pops three in against Watford. It was it just felt like everything was falling into place for him. Oh yeah, even the, the hat trick goal, he was embarrassed to score because he had two goes at it, didn't he? So yeah, I think he kind of did the sterling thing, you know, just popping up in those positions and. I'm surprised by that stat. I mean, he's not a huge goal scorer, but no, he's not. But he gets he... into those positions. So probably, maybe he's more an assister than you know, than a goal scorer. But yeah, it's great for him to. And be like, it just shows. You know, I mean, it's about Aguero should have had a hat trick. To be honest, <laughs> probably, probably pick three players who could have had a hat trick that day. So it just happened to be Bernardo on that occasion. What I mean, I was going to talk about the injury to Sane and what effect that has on on where Bernardo plays, but you know. It could could well have been that Sane's move to Bayern Munich had, had the same result. It, you know, you don't know what what happens in that 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 sort of regard. But last season, we we're all calling for him to play through the middle a little bit more. Is he is he likely with you know De Bruyne being back and with David Silva still being around there? He, he's he's just not going to get time in the middle. No, <laughs> uh, no, just waiting for that to happen. But Pep obviously just sees him. I mean, for Monaco, he played pretty much on the right, didn't he? But we all think he. We all thought it was David Silva's heir, so that's where he will play. When David Silva's gone next season, he might get more time there, but that depends again on Phil Foden and other, do, if we buy someone else. So, yeah, I'm surprised. I did think at some point he would be playing in the middle, and I'd like to see it, but obviously he's not doing too... He didn't do too badly last season, did he? Playing away from the centre. So. It's the, the, the goals are the big thing for him, and... Pep's never said this publicly and probably would never say it, but he thinks that if Bernardo can add goals to his game and what they call them killers, don't they? If he becomes a killer, then he'll become one of the top three, four players in the world. They're convinced that he will. If he can if he can start getting kind of fifteen goals a season, then he will be in that kind of in that realm. Um but that is relying on him kind of bursting into the box and timing his runs properly. Um, Can he do that from wide? Yeah, I think he's got. Uh, yeah, oh, I see what you mean. Actually, you see, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, he's probably he'd probably be more suited to bursting through into the box from a central position, I guess. But you don't get that with with De Bruyne and David Silva still there, do you? No, you don't. Um, I don't know because they quite they obviously love him out wide. I don't know whether we're kind of obsessed with him playing in the middle because he looks like he should. Yeah. Because he's diminutive and kind of very... He can get himself out of tight spaces. He's um, not He's not your traditional tricky winger. He's a similar physique to David Silver, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and he's called Silver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that helps, doesn't it? Um, the, there is another side of, uh, of what's happened with Bernardo this week that we need to talk about. This is Pep Guardiola uh, speaking after the game at Preston when he was asked about Bernardo Silva's alleged racist tweet. They should put the focus on another issue because they don't know which guy are you talking about. So Bernardo is the most lovely person, one of the most lovely person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he speaks uh, four or five languages. That is the best way to understand how open-minded is it. And one of the best friends is Mendy. But it's, it's like a brother for him. So the, the image for the tweet is not about the color of the skin. So he took a picture of Benjamin when he was young and he related for the, this cartoon. It was quite similar for the image. Not because it's... But 
if 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 they want to do that, so as to Bernardo, will be open to I think to talk. But first to do that, you have to be you know to know exactly which person are you talking about, and and it's impossible to believe something it's going it's happened right now to thinking about. There are many situations and the people with the white people the color and you look at cartoon it's quite similar of your face and put it in there. It's quite similar. It's not about. And, and that I think the response from from Mendy was clear. After that, it was a joking all the time. So maybe what I said many times in these advices, don't use too much the social media because it's, that it would happen. But if something happened, there will be a mistake because again, Bernardo is an exceptional person and and far away. So one guy speak five languages is because he's open-minded. There's nothing happened about the colors, the skin, about the nationalities, about whatever. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game against Preston about Bernardo's tweet. Uh, now, we've been pretty vocal on this show about calling out racism in football in the last few seasons, even more so when Raheem Sterling commented on his treatment last year. Uh, so it's only right that we apply the same sort of principles when something to do with City needs calling out. And that tweet, which has now been deleted by Bernardo Silva, is something that we actually really do need to talk about. For me, it doesn't matter if Benjamin Mendy wasn't offended by what was said. It doesn't matter if Benjamin Mendy privately makes similar or the same sort of jokes with his teammates and his friends. The racial stereotypes that were on display in that tweet are the sort of thing that a lot of people around the world are targeted with on a daily basis. And even if Mendy isn't bothered by it, there are other people who will be. And it could also reinforce the idea that it's acceptable to make these sorts of comments to black and ethnic minority people as just a joke when it's not. So whether he likes it or not, Bernardo Silva has a position of influence. And especially on social media, that comes with a responsibility. So I've got no doubt that he and Mendy are close friends. No doubt that... You know, they have inappropriate jokes with each other and, uh, and and things that shouldn't be made public. But this has been made public. And that, for me, is where the uh, where the problem lies, Jack. Yeah. And Bernardo should be aware of the kind of ramifications of making it public. And it would have been nice and wise of him to have apologized by now. Um, that would be I think personally, that would be the um, suitable thing to do, given what's been said and it's kind of um topped the news agenda really hasn't it um, it's kind of crept it's crept up there over the last yeah, few days yeah yeah and it's kind of it's not going away um and i am a little bit surprised that there wasn't an apology almost immediately given that the tweet was deleted within 45 minutes yeah howard i mean it's as you see a lot of city fans on social media who have who have basically taken the defense well mendy's not offended by it so but you see, you see what I mean. It, that doesn't matter now; it's public. No, of course it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not saying, and this is a very general point. It's not to do with Bernardo Silva. You know, uh, if you racially abuse someone and they they laugh at you and you're fine with it, you're a close friend. You've still racially abused them. It makes no difference whether they're fine with it or not. It doesn't change what you've done. Obviously, when you know someone well, what you can say to them and things are not, is different. But this was done in public, and the. The ridiculous thing is everything you've said is is correct. If he just compared to I don't know Chris Rock, it looks like say Benjamin Mendy looked just like Chris Rock, and you say look, like that is obviously fine. But what he uses is a caricature, and if you can't see that, then education is needed here. And it's education; it doesn't have to be about punishment. Pep, what on earth was he thinking? He shouldn't have been put in that position to have to explain anyway, because it could have been dealt with very quickly by them saying they acknowledged that. You know what happened, and it would be dealt with and made aware of responsibilities. But to then come out and 
saying they're good friends and he doesn't say anything wrong. It's just made it into an even bigger story. And I'm staggered that a man of that intellect thinks that way. Now, of course, these are, you know, I don't want to go on on, I don't know what, Spanish society, Portuguese society, you see things differently. It's on a, a popular product. So obviously just they just don't see a problem with this. But that does not excuse them then saying that in public. You know, it's got to be made aware of why people are offended by this. And it's it's not the same as comparing Kevin De Bruyne to the Milky Bar. If you can't see how it's different, I've just nothing more to say. You know, I understand, but, you know, you learn about stuff. That's what education's about. I understand why, you know, what would I know in my life about a lot of these things? I don't. That's why you learn about it. And... Yeah, I don't kind of, I don't feel qualified to be able to talk in depth about it there because we can't we're three white men talking about racism yeah yeah. yeah, and And, and that's why i excuse the people saying there's no problem with this (laughs) i do understand that i understand why you would think that yeah but it's not a good excuse sorry jack yeah i feel slightly uncomfortable talking about it because you know it, it effectively doesn't matter what kind of what i think yeah the one thing that was interesting that uh, I've picked up over the last couple of days is that there has been an element of surprise um, from some black footballers at the amount of um, disappointment on social media in Bernardo. They, some black footballers thought that he would get away with it and nothing would be said. And some of them are a little bit surprised actually that the FA have got involved. Which I don't know what that says, but it's interesting nonetheless. The FA are going to follow it through. They're not going to kind of sweep it. They've said they're not going to sweep it under the carpet. Um, no. It's a very, but it's sorry, it's a very difficult one for them to rule on. Yeah, because of the kind of uh, the close relationship between Bernardo and Mendy, who are best mates, um, and the way it has been handled by the football club, and given what kind of Pep said at Preston the other night as well. Yeah, I'll say it. I just. I don't think he's racist. I don't think it's that huge a thing that happened. And it could have been dealt with a lot easier. Uh, it's just, mis- you know, ill-advised, misjudged, you know, and a bit of ignorance there about, the his- you know, various things that, again, us three <laughs> are not renowned experts in and a lot- most of the City fans on Twitter, yeah, aren't either. So I understand why people are confused by this, but, yeah. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but it's been made bigger because it's not been handled very well. I think uh, we'll just kind of see how that one develops. Um, looking back at the Watford game then, uh, Kevin De Bruyne was... Uh, he, he finally got on the score sheet at the end, Howard, uh, and he did that thing that I like it like that I really like about him sometimes, where he just gets into position and thinks, I'm going to hit this really hard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just going to welly this. Well, when I first saw the goal, you know, live, I thought, well, it must have gone... Uh... You know, right in the top corner. And it wasn't really, but it wasn't a goalkeeper error. No, he just, just hit it so hard. He yeah. hit it and it was in the net before Foster was in, oh my God, <laughs> it's gone past me. Yeah, he's just, he's an angry man, I think, after last season. Yeah. I think he's just like, I, I think he's an angry man full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants the stats from last season and this season. Combined. In, in this yeah. season, yeah. So, what, has he got like seven assists already? Or... Yeah, it's ridiculous. Jack, can we talk about his passing? Because like 40-odd seconds into the game, he whips in one of the balls of the season for David Silva to just tap into the net. Yeah, it was... Um, the way he played on Saturday was like Stoke a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, the 7-2. Oh, when he, yeah. Where 
he's basically just playing with his eyes shut and he, and he just knows exactly where people are going to be. Um, and he's just on a... He's in that sort of mood. He's just on a completely different planet to everyone else. Um, probably, I would say, the best player in the Premier League I would at the moment um, for what he gives individually uh, to the team. And he's just kind of getting better and better. I mean, he kind of... At the end of last season, before the cup final, he sat down with us and said he'd felt he'd felt like he he'd been a fan, like a cheerleader on the he'd side. Not been involved. Yeah, because he because he'd been injured oh. for so long, whatever. And he's kind of, in typical De Bruyne fashion. He's kind of like done a complete one eighty on that now and said, "Oh no, no, everything's you know, I was fine." <laughs> but you could tell that <laughs> he, he wasn't fine. He was wasn't. really kind of well. He cried after the yeah. Fulham game when he got injured when Fosimensa stood on him, um, and he got injured again. He actually cried, broke down on the phone to to his um, to his wife. He was that kind of upset. So it really affects, and he's just come back like a man possessed. Um, and it's frightening to watch him. And he will record better numbers than he's ever recorded before. I think just for that single-minded yeah. determination yeah. to do it. Yeah, um, Jack, you mentioned Riyad Mahrez earlier on. Howard, uh, I wrote this week that he's going to be a. a quietly a key player for City this season um, and I'm feeling quite vindicated by that after his performance against Watford Yeah, as long as he starts matches Yeah, he doesn't like coming on for 10 minutes it seems to take that long to get into his stride but, but he has kind of gone unnoticed recently Yeah, which, I mean well yeah the team he's in it's kind of easy to happen but he's doing just fine uh, looks like he's taking on it was all decision making with him and being, the setup is so different to Leicester, I think he was just you know, the counter attacking team where he's big fish and he was allowed to, to strike them in from 30 yards and it's now it's now about a very specific system and it took most of the players a year to get used to it under Pep when he arrived so but for it to take Mares a year and to understand that things are different here, that, I'm fine with that this is the season where we'll probably judge him properly, uh, but he's quietly, he's quietly going about his business and fits into the team much better, uh, yeah it's all well but he, you know, he started he did have a good section of last season about this time of the year where I remember saying on the podcast, oh, he's, he's, he's doing he's well. Yeah, yeah, he's doing well. And then it went off the boil. So, you know, he's not there yet, but it does seem as though he's he's now taking on board everything that's expected of him. I don't understand why it didn't click instantly with Mahrez, given he's got Walker, because he, obviously Mahrez is a player on, on the right-hand side. And you've got Walker kind of buccaneering up next to you. You'd think it would have been perfect immediately, but obviously it's kind of these things take time and... I think uh, a few of us, me in particular, were probably a little bit too critical of him last year um, because you were expect, you know, he was a club record signing at the time, and you expect results. Yeah, pretty. You expect pretty someone to kind of just click into mm. gear immediately, um, and it doesn't always happen like that. I'm really pleased for him that he started well. I mean, he he was man of the match against West Ham the first day of the season, involved in all of the goals. I think four. four I think four of the goals. Yeah, um, two assists. Then was taken down for a penalty and then was heavily involved in one of the others yeah he was and he was great and he, like was there that day I was like watching it going flipping out this is like a new, a new player, player yeah. yeah um and then he was really good last week in Ukraine so you kind of it just gives him an, a different a different option to last year and hugely important given Sane I mean they needed they, they needed well, they might not have had Sane on either way yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they desperately needed him to have yeah. a far better season <laughs> Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Let's have a quick look at the game at Preston. This is Pep Guardiola speaking after the match about the youngsters in the team. Angelino in front, front they have incredible quality and think Taylor and, and Eric, they combine perfectly. So they don't have the same quality, but they play each other for a long time in the academy and they know them and and they have incredible personality, both of them. And I think Joao make a good, good game too. So it's not easy. Here, long balls, second balls, and they are so strong. We tell them we are not going to win one ball, try to win the second ones, stay high and, uh, and after the quality they have in the middle and up front make the difference. Is there any concern at playing two teenagers together at centre-back or are they both sort of ready for playing in, in these sort of matches? Do you see me concerned about that? No way. I trust a lot with the young players, so we prefer to be Aime and Jonas here, but it happened, that's why we have the academy. So Phil is the best example for that, but uh, they have played good 30 minutes and they have these two guys, like uh, they play in their own national teams and they are captains of the national team, so, and we know them. So I discovered a little bit, I had incredible info about Taylor Bayless, but I saw him in the preseason in China and when he played against, against uh, West Ham and a few minutes in the game, say, wow, that guy have a, a good thing, it's not just Typical English player in terms of strong in the air, so aggressive with the ball, have a lot of quality. And the leadership for Americ is, is really good. But uh, we saw it every day. They pay attention to the training session. Every training session for them is important. And we can count on them. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the win at Preston. Um, Eric Garcia off the bench against Watford. He partnered uh, Taylor Harwood-Bellis against Preston. How were you surprised to see them two start together at, uh, at Deepdale? No, not really. Uh, really? Really? Because it, no. it doesn't feel like a very Guardiola thing to do for me. Uh, I don't think he would take the risk of losing... Otamendi. There's <laughs> one yeah, fit senior defender and Fernandinho... Might look like a twenty-year-old or twenty-five-year-old, but he's thirty-four at the end of the day, and they're relying on him. And no, I wasn't that surprised at all, to be honest. I think I don't know. He's still taking it seriously this competition, as you saw by the side, which is kind of half and half, you know, senior and youngsters. But I think I still get the feeling that having won it the last two years, if it went wrong, it wouldn't be the end of the world, so to speak. So. And I think he believed, he just believed in them. I mean, I think Eric Garcia, just what he did at Watford, you know, the story about him noticing in the warm-up that they were playing a back four and that he'd got half an hour, you know, he'd got some uh, pitch time, sorry. And on the pre-season, Howard Bellis, you know, he just amazed him as well. I think he trusted them, basically. It just shows that he trusted those two to play. And But there just weren't many options. If we had every single defender fit, he'd probably just have played one of them at most, yeah. Yeah. I mean Jack, does Phil Foden still count as a youngster? Um No. <laughs> He's a father. Is it, well He's a father. <laughs> <laughs> he is young though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is quite a young nineteen year old as well. Yeah. Um and obviously family's like massive to him and he still needs that kind of unit around him. Um 
which is one of the reasons why he wouldn't kind of or hasn't up until this point entertained going out on loan. I know City would never send him anyway, but Foden wouldn't want to go because he wouldn't want to leave his family or travel anywhere. Um, but there di- is that there is that question: why is he why is he not getting much minutes? And then he gets he, well, he, he only gets the time in the in the league. He was ill, wasn't he for for a week in which you would have ex- probably expected him to to get some minutes yeah. against um, Shakhtar and Watford, particularly Watford. If you know, if the score was that high, yeah. Um, he needs to start starting games. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Um, and it'll be it'll be really really intriguing as to where where it goes with Foden if if he's basically not starting not starting games by January. We're, we're entering that period of two games a week now. Well, everyone last year was saying, and Pep told him that he would play more this year. And everyone last year said, "Oh, next year is going to be his year." You know, they're kind of phasing Silver out, and he's going to have more chances and whatever. But we've discussed previously on this before about Bernardo playing centrally. Oh, and does Bernardo need chances centrally? Well, if that happens, then Foden gets knocked back. And then I've heard people already saying this season, "Oh, well, this season's okay for Foden because David Silver's going next year, and he'll get more chances next year." But what happens this time next year when Bernardo, when Bernardo's taking David Silver's place, and they go, "Oh, well, no, I mean." Yeah, Foden. The year after that, no, and it's so, like, suddenly he's twenty-seven. And, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It, it's it's hard, and I think Foden and his family and the people around him kind of trust the process for want of a better, a far better phrase, um, and know they're heading in the right direction. But how long do you wait? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but going back to Howard Bellis and Garcia, I mean they've kind of played together in the academy team quite a bit and obviously know each other which must be a hugely positive thing for city in the in the Carabao cup because i think they are going to they are going to take more more risks in that competition this year with the lineups particularly at the back because they didn't sign a fourth center half yeah. and pep um pep thought that in the summer that they weren't going to go for it quite as much as go for the league cup quite as much as they did because they didn't think they could juggle four competitions with just three um, and now, obviously, they've only got one at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, one player who is in a bit of a catch twenty-two, Howard, is uh, and always will be. While Aguero was at the club, is Gabriel Jesus. Uh, he scored again on another start. He, he scores goals when you want him to, but he's just behind the greatest striker that City have ever had. Yeah, but I mean, we don't know how the season's going to go. Someone will pick an injury up. Could be him. Could be Aguero. That's how he's got his chances before, and he knows. Well, what Sergio got two seasons left. So I think the club are looking, you know, hope he'll be patient to them and they're giving him that time to prove he's the heir to the throne, so to speak. I don't think Aguero will automatically start just every single game, even if we agree that he's the better striker. I think Jesus will get plenty of games. And he's since the summer when he's, he's great for Brazil, I think he's I think he really has stepped up a level. Uh it does seem to be enjoying his time on the pitch as well. Against Preston, he had yeah. all the tricks, and yeah, he's really lively. A nice, uh, nice finish too. Um, he's just not a killer in the penalty area, really. I mean, the disallowed goal—I was bizarre. I've not seen a replay why he he dummied it and then took the return pass, and it was given as offside. But he, he could have taken the first one on, and and I think Sergio Aguero would have just gone for goal in that situation. So, still not quite sure where on the pitch is his best position, but. He'll get plenty of game time. We've only got two strikers. It's like, 
and unlo- and lots of games to and come. Uh, yeah, loads of games. Yeah. So yeah. final word for the first part of the show, uh, Jack, on the left back situation. Uh, Mendy perhaps a bit of a surprise to start against Watford. Uh, Angelino came in against Preston and played the second half against Watford. What what do you make of the situation now? Um, I think there's going to be a little, well, quite a lot of rotation over the next few weeks. Um, is Mendy ready? Is he or is no, he still? No, he's not. Um, I was pretty surprised he started Mendy because um, I thought they would just kind of ease him in over the next few weeks. Uh, and again, like Angelino playing, I mean, I'm not being funny, but on tour, Angelino was just. He was way off. Wasn't good, was he? <laughs> he was miles off. It was. I was staggered actually, given he played so well last year in Holland yeah. and in the Champions League. Um, but I think, obviously, looking forward, it's Mendy's to lose, isn't it? Still expect Zinchenko to be the main man for the next few weeks. Mm, yeah, but not for much longer. Yeah, I don't think he's good enough defensively. Right, so it's time to check in on how the youngsters are developing. I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, who starts with the performances of Eric Garcia and Taylor Harwood-Bellis at Preston. I was pretty astonished to to turn up. We got out of the car and found out that the, the pair of them are, are starting together. I fully expected. In fact, I think Guardiola even said that Eric was going to play, but to see Taylor in the team sheet blew my mind. It's, it's absolutely not a, a Pep Guardiola move at all to throw in a a 17-year-old, I know, he, and it is one that he's talked about before. He is such a such a big prospect, but uh, I thought on the pitch they both give such a good account of themselves. A really high-performing Preston side. Let's not forget. I mean, I think they're not far off the off the top at the moment in the Championship, which is a very high level of football, especially for a 17-year-old's debut. There was a couple of times with with Taylor, you could kind of see well the pair of them really. You could kind of see where the deficiencies are at the minute. Specifically with Taylor, the aerial balls I thought he was struggling with, and once or twice he was, you know, he was rushing his his first touch and his clearance, which kind of made him stand out a little bit for the wrong reasons. But in general, the pair of them looked fantastic, and obviously a clean sheet in, well, a major competition if you want to call it. That. <laughs> I, I think it is personally. Um, I thought they were both fantastic. I mean, along, alongside. Angelino as well, whipping in crosses that wouldn't have looked out of place if they'd have come from Mendy's left boot later on in the game. And then Bernab as well to come off the bench a bit later on. It was, what a great occasion for actually playing playing the kids. He gets a lot of stick for not doing it um, and he's found his opportunity and what a way to do it. I was going to say, in terms of, of a performance, a 3-0 win away at Preston, you can't ask for, for much more than that from them. And and it was, it wasn't like they weren't involved in the game. Well, yeah, I mean... The way we play the game, your centre-backs are kind of your first outlet for everything, aren't they? And both being Eric more comfortable on the ball, Taylor slightly less so. But in terms of being thrown to the wolves for Taylor, I don't think he could have asked for much much higher of a, of a bar to, to be go out and set. When we, when we turn to think about are there going to be any more opportunities like that? I mean, obviously the situation's changed so dramatically since you know since we last spoke. <laughs> in terms, in terms of uh, nobody's fit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For a couple of years ago, we spoke about Tosin being like the fifth choice centre back and never getting any time. Garcia's gone in as the third choice this year, thinking you know I'm going to get game time this year. And now Taylor Howell Bellis, a 17 year old, is the fourth choice, and he's also getting game time. So. Squad matters are really are really pressing at the minute. I mean, and to be honest, that's what these these players are for. That's what you that's what you have an academy, and that's what I personally think it's fine. I mean, I, I do think we should have bought an extra centre back this summer, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, so it, 
the situation's completely changed. Uh, we're still finding ourselves relying on a 34-year-old Fernandinho, which is exactly the same problem we had last year. Um, although we overcame it last year as well. Does it? I mean, does it present an opportunity in the Premier League for the likes of, of Garcia and Harwood Bellis, or, or are we still? I mean, is, it, is that asking too much of them at this stage? Do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I've said this to you before, but you'd be trying to get into that manager's head if you were to if you were to try and predict that. I personally, I think Taylor needs a bit more time. I think Garcia showed against Watford that if we need him. He will be there for us, type thing. You know, he's very mature for his age. I think there's a there was a piece that Sam Lee wrote in the Athletic talking about his maturity, and you've, you can kind of see that over the years. To have an 18 year old who is pointing out tactical points to the manager before a game, I'd more or less see Garcia as being as being ready to play personally. It it shows confidence, doesn't it? Um, one thing we have to talk about um, on the last show, you uh, you mentioned um, a, a one to watch being Frimpong, and then you know, give it what twenty four hours, forty eight hours, and he's no longer at the club. Yeah, all right. Yeah, um, <laughs> I did. I I pointed out Jeremy Frimpong as one to make his first team debut. I didn't necessarily say who for. I so. would not. I'm not letting you get away with it like that. <laughs> no, no, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone because I assume the Celtic hierarchy, when they played a friendly in, in pre-season, they saw what I saw, a player who stood head and shoulders above the rest of his of his uh, reserve teammates. And fair enough, um, you know, wishing well. We do have another right-back prospect called Alpha Dionku who was on the bench at Preston, but he may get game time that would have been earmarked for Frimpong, but again, he's another one who saw his sort of playing time elsewhere, so that's... That's fair enough. The other player I did mention is Bernard. Uh, luckily, he's again he, he played against Preston, so he's going to be one who's going to get game time, I think, here and there. A, a, a player who he, sh- he should have had an assist or two. He's got a, he's got a decent little cross on him, Bernard, uh, and he doesn't look out of play in senior football at all. So yeah, I got that one wrong. <laughs> I got that one wrong within about three days of it of it going out. But uh, if I was to replace him, I'd say uh, I'd want to point out Jaden Braff at the minute. Still only playing reserve football, but uh, as a, again another 17-year-old, looking like he's never played anything but reserve football. He's a fantastic player, and he's having such a resurgence at the moment. It was a bit of a shock; like he had a, he had a slow start to uh, to his life at City last year, but he looks fantastic at the minute, and I definitely would note him down as a replacement one to watch. <laughs> For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Sean Blinkhorn talking to me about the youth players there. Um, Everton and Zagreb on the horizon. Jack, I want to start with you because you're not bogged down by years of bad results at Goodison Park for that, that city fans are. Um, Everton are really not in a good place right now, are they? No, it's kind of... Sounds like they've got a little bit of a kind of fractured dressing room as well. Um, Is it cracked badge time? <laughs> don't get, no, I mean there's only there's only one football club in the northwest that is deserving of a cracked badge, <laughs> and you know exactly who they are. Might have drawn with Rochdale recently, <laughs> and I might have had to have sit sat through ninety minutes on penalties. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Everton looked like they were on the on the way up, even at the start of the season. Actually, they looked quite solid defensively. Um, but have slumped. They kind of Everton can never put a run of results together 
for like a proper consistent run. You always like think they might like flirt with the top six, and then and then they, they go, almost go down that year. Well, and then, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but yeah, lose to Villa, don't they? Yeah, like a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's the thing. The good thing about playing at Goodison Park for any team that goes there is if you if you control the ball early, um, and starve Everton of possession, they just they just, they just get really really restless. The fans, <laughs> they get on the back really, oh, really yeah. quickly. It's a hot. Honestly, when being there when Everton are playing badly, it's a horrible, horrible atmosphere. I remember the days when it used to be like that at Main Road, and and it it really can it can it can spiral out of complete control. How would you, you like me, must be bogged by those kind of what felt like a hundred years of bad results at Goodison Park? Um, do you fear it like you used to? No, <laughs> but I still think it'll be a really difficult. I, I mean. My worries are they're not. They can't be. They have got a good squad. I mean, embarrass myself every summer by That's saying such a City fan thing. They can't be that bad all the time. <laughs> well, no, they've got a good squad. It's not as if they haven't. They're playing to their level. They're playing below their level. Yeah. And at any point, they may play well again. And they do in Sparks play well. Uh, they're not in some crisis mode yet. They've the problem, according to the stats, is they have loads of shots, but they don't make the most of them. So they're not, you know. But you know what it's like with us. It's like when we do lose drop points, it's as if every chance the opposition gets goes in. And that's your fear that Everton will be suddenly really clinical against us. Uh, and, you know, as you say, the crowd get worked up and shrieking for every foul that doesn't go their way. It, no, it's not what it was. We've got a few wins under our belt. But it will always be a really tough match, I think, to go to Goodison. Does does there become added pressure on City's games even this early in the season, Jack? Just for how Liverpool have started. Yeah, I think um, yeah there is. Uh, not necessarily because of the way Liverpool started, but because of last season and how close it was. Yeah, and this is uh, this is the way it is now between them two. In that any kind of drop points is is seen as gold dust for the other the other side. Um, and I've got to hold my hands up. I'm already watching Liverpool's games and begging for the opposition to to nick a draw or to, yeah, I think to get if a I was, like, if I was... Do you see what I mean? Like even at Chelsea last weekend, like there's so much of the season mm. left, and I was I was really disappointed that Chelsea's equaliser was was VAR'd out. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was if I was a City fan, I would have been watching Liverpool's game on the opening opening day of the season and yeah. willing for willing for any sort of drop points because it's going to be you would assume that it'll come down to a few. A few points again, um, and yeah, Liverpool will drop points, and yeah, they've got City to play twice. Um, but it's it feeds into that kind of anxiety, doesn't it? There's, there seems to be anxiety every. You're not helping me <laughs> every week. I mean, I don't know who's I don't know who's playing first this weekend, but is that a big thing? I don't know. <laughs> I think they are, aren't they? I can't remember. I know, I, know City, I know City the evening game. It's a winnable home match anyway, so. So what, what they can't, they they must, they're going to ramp up the pressure. They must be away if City are at Everton. Oh, I don't know. So, oh, right, they're away to a rubbish team. <laughs> I remember looking at it, going, "They're going to win that." Right. So maybe but, I think that about everything, but you know, I don't. Yeah, it does feel like you know if it goes to seven points, uh, they're away to Sheffield United in the early match. So, so City will know. It's not. It's not a gimme away to Sheffield United, but I still expect them to win that comfortably. I don't think. The two clubs are looking at each other. It's the fans. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that obviously they just go out and try and just go and win every every week, don't they? I mean, that was a, I'm saying about who's playing first and joking about it, or whatever. But that was the amusing thing in the run during the running last year. Every week, Pepper get asked, <laughs> "Liverpool are playing first, you know, you know." It's, it's, what does that mean? Does it give Does it give you? And his answer is always, "Just got to like, win." I'm just not asked. Yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing, what I also loved about the run-in last year was the way that it was from about February where we we, we constantly talking about oh who's who's going to drop points here and that, and they just both won till the end of the yeah. season. Yeah. It was it was incredible. <laughs> um, it, we also have the uh, the midweek game against Zagreb. Um, it feels like it already feels like a bit of a dead rubber this one, Howard, because they've won <laughs> the first game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, before last week, City had only won I think three of the eight. Of first their games, opening yeah. games, yeah. Uh, and last year we lost the first, and by the third game we were top of the table within two games. So, and it seems like it's one of those groups again where other teams will take points off each other. Therefore, you don't need as many points to qualify. Yeah. If that makes sense. But City will want to top the group, not finish second anyway. Well, a win had put them in full control with the group. Yeah, I won't say it's a dead rubber. Zagreb won four nil. Uh, there are surprise packages in the Champions League every year. It's not, really, maybe, it's maybe, not really what I mean, though. I mean, like, like there's so much time win. to there's so much time to to kind of to overturn the the result. If they were to lose against Zagreb, they could still easily win the group. It's not. Yeah, you a, don't want to lose a home game. They no, could, they could. But then they've got Atalanta twice, who yeah. might be you know an attacking force, and it'd be problematic. So you don't really, yeah, it's really helped. It's put them in a very very strong position that opening one because. The opening game that might not prove to be the hardest game away to Shakhtar, but they were the pot two team. We've played them away. That is in theory the hardest game of the group stage. So yeah. to have got three points, if we get if we're six points after two, yeah, it's one foot in the knockout stage with four games to go. So what's the atmosphere gonna be like? Quiet. Always <laughs> it's Champions League. How it depends how many will they bring. Probably not that many. They'll be loud, however many they bring. Because they'll do their thing of marching through the streets and throwing flares around, but I can't see it being much above. I mean, it's been well priced, but the fact is, the demand, the demands of modern football. This is still, I say, the third priority for City fans after the league and the FA Cup will sell above Champions League. Just domestic sells more. Uh, so I, I don't know. If they score, you know, it depends on the performance in a way. Uh, if something controversial happens, if the referee's an idiot, <laughs> you know, all those things make for an atmosphere. So, the Champions League games are a bit like going to the theatre, aren't they? Where you, particularly against the teams um, that you would really expect to beat, it's like fans go there, they expect to be entertained, they go home. Yeah. They know what they're going to see. They're going to see City win by two or three, and then right, see you later, see you Saturday type thing. Um, the one amusing Champions League thing that I've noticed over the last week was I think Sam Lee tweeted um, <laughs> a, and that in itself is not amusing. <laughs> He's always tweeting. Um, he put a clip of Pro Evolution Soccer, the yeah. the new game, where they've done like the the the, the Champions League anthem at the Etihad. And they play it, and you know all the uh, the, the teams players line up, line up yeah. yeah. And they, they've put City fans booing over the anthem in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, 
Absolutely brilliant. I mean, through, the attention the, to detail. We're through the looking glass here. That's incredible. And that's why pro evolution is always better. <laughs> I'm not getting into that debate. If right you're now. listening, <laughs> if you want to, just pop your address in there. Howard. Uh, they might, yeah, they might got, want to I've send got, one over to you. I've got a PS4 if they're listening. <laughs> um, Jack, how does Guardiola use his squad uh, this week? Because the priority was obviously get a result at, at Everton and then Zagreb. Basically, I'm asking the question: Where does Foden fit in? Where does Foden fit in? Um, or does Foden would, fit in? I'm not expecting him to start either game. I don't think. Um, but I think he should start the Zagreb game. But, I mean, I didn't go to Preston. Um, I wasn't there. But apparently he didn't kind of, didn't really impose himself that much on the game. No. So at, at some point there's kind of, he does need a run, don't get me wrong, he needs a run of games. But you've yeah. got you've got to grasp the chance when you get it. Well, he's the third player to be ill and then played badly. I think because Gundogan and Otamendi were both. Well, they had yeah ill and then terrible against Norwich. I don't know if there's a correlation. I mean, I'd say if he's got a chance, it'll be at home to Zagreb. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Gundogan is a Pep, you know, favourite in the Champions League. Yeah, and we haven't even, he, we haven't even talked about him this because week. he plays well. It does it does turn it on in the Champions League more than perhaps other matches. So. I can't see him dropping Gundogan for Zagreb at home because I think he likes him. For and, those one of, games. and one of De Bruyne or Silver plays. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Unless you play Gun, unless you give Roger a rest and, and play Gundogan, Gundogan plays as a six. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Possible. yeah that's that, possible. I mean, that's for for me looking at it. I think that's Foden's best opportunity of more starts. If Fernandinho, if forgetting about Fernandinho as a midfielder now completely, then yeah, the kind of rotation with Roger is where Foden might get his chance. Yeah. Right, it's charity bet time. And what's that old saying? If you want a job doing well, do it yourself. So I did. My 3-0 prediction for Wednesday's League Cup tie at Preston has got us off the mark for this season on the charity bet with William Hill. The total is at 50 quid for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. Two more chances this week, Everton and Zagreb. Um, Howard, I'm going to start with you. What have you gone for for the uh, Everton game? Oh, I've got to remember what I texted you. Yes. I think I went for 2-1. Is that you, correct? Uh, you did go for 2-1, which is 15-2 to two and uh, £75. Jack? Uh, a 3-1 victory it reads here uh, 3-1 is 17-2 to two and uh, £85 I've gone for 2-0 and 6-1 to one and 60 quid which brings us on to uh, Zagreb Howard it says I've gone for 4-1 4-1 is 11-1 to one, which is £110 Jack 3-0 uh, 11-2 uh, to two, which is £55 and I've gone in the middle of you both, 3-1, 10 to 1, so £100 if I'm right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can always change. And for more information about responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Now it's time to move on, and this season on the Blue Moon Podcast, once a month, we're taking a nostalgia trip to each of the last 10 campaigns. This week, it's the turn of 2010-11, when City ended their silverware duck. Rob Wilson explains all. The summer of 2010 was another one of big changes for Manchester City. After a disappointing end to the previous campaign, they improved their squad with some impressive signings. Yaya Torre, James Milner and David Silva bolstered the midfield, Alexander Kolarov and Jerome Boateng arrived to improve the defence, and manager Roberto Mancini reunited with striker Mario Balotelli, who moved from Inter Milan. City travelled to White Hart Lane on the opening day to face Tottenham, the side who had denied them a top-four finish the season before. Joe Hart was man of the match in a 0-0 draw, as he was reinstated as the club's number one goalkeeper. A 3-0 win over Liverpool followed in front of owner Sheikh Mansour, who made his first visit to Manchester for the game. 
Attention then switched to the Europa League, and after a solid start to the group stage, Polish side Lech Poznan came to Manchester. Emmanuel Adebayor scored a hat-trick in a 3-1 win, but it was new man David Silva who caught the attention of the podcast Paul Atherton. I think I only counted six misplaced passes by him and two of them were corners. And two of them were nearly goal-scoring opportunities. It's just got best for such a thing I've ever seen from a footballer. Off the pitch, the peculiar celebrations of the travelling supporters caught the eye on the night, and City fans took note. They adopted the Poznan, where they turned their backs on the pitch and jumped up and down. In the Premier League, City found themselves in a title race. Key wins over defending champions Chelsea and newly promoted West Brom showed signs that they could now control tight games. An away trip to Fulham then saw them put down their strongest marker yet. City ran out 4-1 winners, scoring three in the first half. After the game, Dan Burns, speaking on the podcast, was impressed. The passing, the movement and the, the creativity, there was chances. I mean, let's be honest, we scored four. OK, we, we've, we've seen seven ones and, and games recently. We, we could have been looking at something like that had chances been taken. You know, I seem to remember Tevez was through, could have squared it to Joe. There's one chance that sticks in my mind. But there was, there was other opportunities and, you know, maybe one day that's going to come out of us against somebody. Despite briefly topping the table during the Christmas period, City lost ground in the title race in the new year, and Dinamo Kiev ended their Europa League hopes. In the FA Cup though, things were well on track. After joining City in January, new striker Edin Dzeko's first goal for City forced a replay against Notts County, where Mancini's side dominated back at Eastland. A quarter-final victory over Reading then set up a trip to Wembley. Standing in their way though were Manchester United, again. Facing their rivals in a semi-final had proven to be a step too far the previous year, so fans were getting nervous. But this was a different season, and this was a different city. Oh, and it's given away by Carrick. This is Torre! Yaya Torre! Yaya Torre's second-half goal won the game, and for the first time in what felt like forever, City turned up when it mattered. Wembley was graced with the Poznan throughout the match, and after the game, the podcast Paul Atherton was impressed with how City had controlled proceedings. When we pushed forward, I thought we started to, um, you know, dominate possession a bit more, pass the ball around. Whereas, you know, we were up Scholes and um, Carrick had all the time in the world on the ball before then. And then when we started to push up, you know, Dion got some tackles in, Barry got a few body checks in, and we just started to, you know get a hold of the ball, so Mancini definitely needs credit for that, pushing the ball and pressing up the pitch. In the league, the hunt for the top four was going strong. Another crucial goal from Dzeko snatched a 1-0 win at Blackburn and put City on the brink of qualification for the Champions League. But like the previous season, the crucial game would come against Spurs. This time, fate was on City's side. Peter Crouch scored in front of the South Stand once again, but this time it was in his own net. Another fine performance from Joe Hart saw City come out 1-0 winners, confirming their place in the Champions League for the very first time. Dan Burns was pleased with how City had performed. The irony, obviously, last year it cost us our spot. We were always going to go into this game in the box seat. Last year it was Spurs in the box seat. It was the other way around. And I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think on the night, tactically... That was probably our best performance of the season. We were spot on. After securing a finish in the Champions League positions, City travelled back to Wembley for the FA Cup final. It was Stoke who stood between City and their first major trophy in 35 years. Another tight, nervous game followed, but a man who was beginning to make Wembley his second home was ready to write the headlines again. 
Yaya Toure was on hand to give City a 1-0 win in the final and secure their first major silverware since 1976. During the celebrations, the City players and staff did a Poznan of their own, thanking the fans for their terrific support throughout the season. After the dust had settled, Paul Atherton gave his assessment. It was a lovely uh, flick from Balotelli on it and then Silva laid Balotelli off but it came out to Yaya. But we deserved that look, you know, Stoke would have been disappointed to concede it but Yaya certainly was happy it dropped to him. It was, a, it was a brilliant finish that, a technique to keep it down as well. If the 2009-2010 season had indicated that City were heading in the right direction, then this season confirmed it. With the first major trophy now in the cabinet and Champions League football secured, courtesy of a best ever Premier League finish in third, the appetite for more glory was only increasing. City fans were getting excited, and rightly so. Hi, I'm Colin Bell, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Rob Wilson looking back at 2010-11 there. Now it's time for the final part of the show. Get your questions in for next week's Ask the Panel at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. You can also search for us on Instagram and send us a message on there. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, Kieran Murray's up first with a telegram. He asks, how can City not have a player in FIFA's Team of the Year and Guardiola can miss out on Coach of the Year despite winning three trophies last season? Oh, because uh, it's a Champions League <laughs> award ceremony. That's it, basically. It's That's what it's always been. I think the only manager not to win it, that's not won the Champions League, is uh, Ranieri at Leicester, which is understandable. Uh, it's a joke. It's not that important. They basically go off... I mean, the Real Madrid players, just, there's no rival <laughs> reason for that whatsoever. But it's an award ceremony to recognise. It's got the wrong name. It's basically, it's a Champions League thing. That's all they look at. They're not interested in anything else. And, you know, what can you do about it? I don't care, but it depends if managers and managers, players, do they want these individual awards or is it about the team? Who knows? I guess it differs, doesn't it, from player to player? So. It It is voted for by the players, Jack. So it's like it's it, it's not a it, it's no sort of like overwhelm. It, it's not a thing like City have been purposefully excluded. It's just that the players have not voted for City players. No, although there's a controversy about the awards um, this week in that some of the uh, some of the national managers and captains have argued that they FIFA said that they'd voted for Lionel Messi to win the overall award and they say no we didn't vote for him which mm. is interesting yeah <laughs> so you then you then wonder whether the kind of what's what goes on in kind of picking the 11 as well I mean Howard got it completely spot on who the hell cares honestly like it just doesn't matter does it I mean Guardiola has been had a little bit of a gripe about Bernardo not getting into some sort of team of the year um, and was a little, seemed like a little bit miffed about that, but I can't imagine anyone's losing a great deal of slack. I mean, Pep didn't even go, did he? I know Edison Edison went, um, but yeah, it doesn't matter, does it? I see. We knew he didn't win, wouldn't win though. So, but yeah, yeah, he might have gone if he'd won. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I don't. Just I didn't know it was by the players, but the Champions League winning manager always has always won it, apart from one exception. So it's, I guess it shows what football they watch themselves or how they're influenced. 
or where priorities lie. Kind maybe. of a, yeah, and a recency bias as well. They've probably just watched the latter stages of the Champions League at the end of the year as players, and that's where yeah they've got their information from. They're not been watching Bernardo tear it up in the Premier League every week, have they? So. Well, that's the thing. Does anyone from Manchester City deserve to be in the Champions League eleven from last season? I find them very hard to put together, to be honest, because you've normally got three very strong candidates in every position. So. I also, I mean, I also don't Silva. watch enough Champions League football. No, no, I know no. people go on about Bernardo Silva won about six trophies, but it's a team game, so you can't just say he deserves it because Portugal were good. Or, mm. you know, so, uh, yeah, because there's not one player that stood out and Kevin De Bruyne was injured for most of the year. Well, Bernardo Silva was probably the one that was the closest to getting into the eleven. Yeah. Mm. I always think my caveat for City players and these individual awards is that City players are not, they don't, they don't often stand out in their own team because they're such a good team. Do you know mm. what I mean? One week it could be Sterling, that's fantastic. The next week Bernardo, the next week Aguero. And when you put that together over the course of the season, it's not been one player that stood out for the entirety of the, of the season. It's been all of these players working well together and that doesn't get the same sort of plaudits. Anyway, moving that's on. That's coming from a fantasy football point of view, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Um because I, I never get it right. Um, <laughs> final question for this week. Uh, Sahail Goatee on the emails asks, would Leicester's James Madison be a good addition to City's squad? Gucci's James Madison. <laughs> Did you not see the bag that he was wearing last Oh, last I did. Week? Yeah, you're right, Six actually. Six and a yeah. half thousand pounds, was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he'd be a great addition to all the, t- all the top teams. I just don't know where he'd kind of... Not sure where he'd fit in, really. It'd be Foden's position, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, they won't, they won't go for him because it'll cost too much money if they're not going to pay the money for Harry Maguire in a position that they really were desperate for reinforcement, and then they're certainly not mm. going to waste that sort of money on a on a central midfielder. Um, he'll end up going to, he'll end up going to United, and United will end up paying way too much money for him, and he'll he'll play just below his average. Yeah, you'd have thought so. <laughs> yeah, he'll probably start playing him left wing or something. <laughs> drag him down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey yeah, now. there's just no place for him, really, is there? In, well, I think we're doing quite well in those positions. Top player, though. Pep loves a midfielder. He's, good, he's a great mm. player. I don't know why he's not getting the England recognition yet, so, but he's got time. So. Yeah. Right, well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks to my two guests, Jack Gaunt. Thank you very much. And Howard Hawking. Yeah, a pleasure. If you like what you hear, then please give the show a rating and a review on iTunes, and please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Patreon backer. For $2 a month, or about £1.60 a month if you're in the UK, you can get an extra show that's at least another 15 minutes of Manchester City discussion, plus regular blogs by me, Richard Burns, and guests. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast